Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Kindness is a currency. It is the way that things get done. And it is something that I I feel like the Fed, where I can mint it and create (laughs) (laughs) infinite amounts of that currency. And so um, that's something that I choose to to make sure that I, I, I lead. I follow and I reinforce with kindness with all my interactions just to make sure that we can all stay motivated. And it's abundantly clear that I'm working in their self-interest to make sure that things keep moving forward. Nice. 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 Nice with Dave Delaney. Welcome to the Nice Podcast, all about communication, collaboration, and becoming better leaders. I'm your host, Dave Delaney from futureforth.com, where we help fast-growing technology companies retain talent and improve culture so you have happier, more connected teams. Today, I'm speaking with Wesley Faulkner. Wesley co-hosts the Developer Relations focused podcast Community Pulse and serves on the board of South by Southwest. Wesley, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to NICE. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be with you again, if not in person, then at least audioly. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Is that a word, audioly? It is now. (laughs) Yeah, it might be a drinking word. We we could uh, try to squeeze it in some more. Uh, so I always like to start these things with the same question, which is what is the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? I, um, unfortunately we have dealt with some loss in my family recently Hmm. and uh, our neighbors who just moved in maybe like around Christmas time, uh, sent a nice orchid over, um, uh, and, that was extremely sweet for someone who we barely knew, um, just sending their um, love and care via plants uh, just to help us through this hard time. So that was probably the nicest thing um, that's happened to me recently. That's that's uh, super sweet. Yeah, and I'm I'm sorry for your loss. I didn't I didn't uh, I wasn't aware. So I uh, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank so you. so who is someone that was especially nice to you in your career? Oh God! So, <laughs> um, his name is Adrian Munoz. He was one of my first managers in uh, when I was worked at Dell, mm-hmm. and I don't. It, it, it's game changer when a manager has full confidence in you and is totally invested in your success. Yeah. And he would just talk me up to everybody, everybody that. Uh, he ran into at work, uh, and he'd come by, uh, and talk to me at work and just say, you're doing an amazing job. You're doing an awesome job. Just keep it up. Just keep it up. Everyone should just take a little bit of you because you're so good. And it's just like, he like gassed me up all the time. And I eventually, he, he got promoted. He went to another role and later on he reached back out to me and said, Hey, I want you on my new team because you are phenomenal. 
and then I did, and I was on his team. And then another position for another team that was like uh, another tier up, mm. he said, you should go for that role. And just pushed me towards being successful, kept me motivated, and just really made me feel seen in the work that I did on a day-to-day basis. And I would say that's that's something that just sticks with me today. That's amazing. Uh, you know, part of this nice methodology framework that that I use to to help leaders of of tech companies, part of that is about providing feedback and recognition for for your talent because a lot of times they don't do they don't do that. And I've experienced this firsthand too, where you know you just you don't even know if you're you don't know if you're doing a good job or a bad job because you're just not getting any feedback at all, and 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 also a kind of a lack of of recognition. So the fact that he was doing that on a regular basis is uh, pretty amazing. That's awesome. Did you ever yeah, it drove me just to do better all yeah. the time just to make sure I could stay in that same zone the the level that was expected and to reinforce that I was doing the right thing. So it just made me feel more confident to keep keep going in that same direction because he was saying you're in the right direction, you're a right vector mm-hmm. and right enthusiasm just keep going. Did you have you ever sort of picked up on that for, you know, teammates that you've worked with and kind of, uh, kind of echoed that, that recognition to others that worked with you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, just the last role that I was, I was the head of community for a database company called single store. Mm-hmm. And that role, I worked with a lot of different teams because, um, Community just touches so many different things. It talks, touch, touches marketing. It touches um, forums. It touches social. It touches all these different parts of the company, even roadmap to understand what's coming to set expectations with the community. Mm-hmm. Um, having to make sure that, I mean, I don't have necessary direct authority. So you have to lead with kindness in order to build that trust and build that um that, that table and making sure that we both are sitting on the same side of the table and not opposite ends. Mm-hmm. And uh, so being so, – so, so kindness is a currency. It is the way that things get done. And it is something that I, I feel like the Fed where I can mint it and create <laughs> <laughs> infinite that. amounts of that currency. And so um, that's something that I choose to, to make sure that I, I, I lead – I follow and I reinforce with kindness with all my interactions just to make sure that we can all stay motivated. And it's abundantly clear that I'm working in their self-interest to make sure that things keep moving forward. Yeah. And just a look at your LinkedIn profile. Um, one, one section of LinkedIn profiles I like to peruse is the recommendation section where people take a moment to, or minutes really to write an original, you know, thoughtful recognition or a recognition recommendation rather. And, you know, I was looking through yours and, you know, it's, you're exactly right. And, and it's, it, and it resonates with people because that's what they write about you, you know, how talented and smart you are and how, how kind you are. Um, and it comes through, uh, you know, in flying colors across your, uh, your LinkedIn profile. So, uh, pretty, pretty cool. You talked about community there and in your, uh, keynote presentation, be just like me different. Uh, you mentioned something that really stood out to me and I loved it. And it's, you said something, something I'm paraphrasing here, but you said something, something to the effect of you don't grow a community by isolating yourself. You grow it by bringing people in and people, you know, who are like you, um, but also allowing them to be themselves. Talk a little bit about how you've built communities and sort of some of the lessons you've learned in this process. Well, first of all, Bless you for watching that keynote. It's like 80 minutes. It's the longest keynote, I think, in history. I think, <laughs> I think that we'll check the facts, but I think that's top 10 at least. Um, and and <laughs> one thing about community is that communities are their own little entity, right? There, there's some that are similar, but none that are alike. And you have to, I, I guess the rough way of saying it is train your community, but um, the 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 nicest way of saying it is set a good example. Mm. So people want to be with people that they trust, people that they like, and people who like them. Mm-hmm. And uh, something that someone said to me once is like the you know the, what the first step of trusting someone is mm. is trusting them. 
That's it. <laughs> you just have to do it. Yeah. And with community, you have to make sure that you're doing the actions, you're modeling the behavior that you want the community to have. Mm-hmm. So if you want people to be open and honest, you have to be open and honest. If you want people to bring their whole selves, you have to bring your whole self. So you are building this etiquette. You're building this muscle with the community to by doing this behavior that you're modeling. And then you're encouraging and reinforcing when others do show what the thing that you want them to do as well. Hmm. So you have to be this beacon. You have to be this magnet. You have to attract people where not only is this something that is valued, but is something that is considered the norm. So you have to radiate your morals, your principles, your values as a community in order to make sure that you can be seen and that people, once they see this beacon, once they feel this magnetism, this gravity towards the community, that they then show that they belong by showing that same behavior. And you have to do that over and over and over again. It's You don't just go to the gym once and say, hey, I'm improved. You have to show that this is not a one-time thing, that you have to build that muscle by working out, just like you have to build this confidence and this trust by making sure that you exhibit this behavior and reinforce that over a length of time. And it's really like, yeah, as you said, I mean, it it is kind of practicing what you preach, you know, like being the change as, as Gandhi said. Uh, and I love that. I love it. now, it, you know, and in that talk, you, you, you spoke about sort of, uh, Wesley beta version, uh, you know, <laughs> and different versions, um, uh, and without dwelling on that too much, but I tell think me, that was recalled. <laughs> no, uh, but tell me, tell me, yeah. So tell me a little bit about like how you came to learn these lessons in, in the community, uh, building work that you've done as a dev relations guy. So really, I mean, ultimately a lot of your work has been in technology and in developer relations roles where you're, I mean, ultimately you're, you are, you're building community and you're being sort of that brand advocate that way. So tell me a little bit about how you've learned some of these lessons that you, that you speak of. Not easily. Uh, it's, 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 you know, experience is, is a, a cruel reinforcement technique. Um, going through something that's extremely painful um, will make sure that it stays with you. And when you burn your hand on the stove, you learn to n- not do that again and to keep a, self, uh, a safe distance. And then you try to tell people around you that, you know, hey, I've gone through this. You shouldn't have to go through this as well. And life is that way. Hmm. Um, you, or I should say I. One thing that's been a huge tool is being able to be uh, gain more insight and uh, reflective of where I am and who I am and mm-hmm. what I'm doing. Without being able to look inwardly, it makes all the problems uh, outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. And when all the problems are outside of the, yourself, then it's nothing is your fault, but also means nothing's under your control. Mm-hmm. So, um, going through these experiences and knowing that it, my participation is a part of it, even if the blame isn't on me, understanding how I played a part in that formula, how those either decisions or even mindsets and how I approach things like I'm right. And so I don't need to back down. It may not say that, you know, maybe I need to consider the person I'm speaking with or the, the environment I'm in. And um, it's not all about me. The sensitivity needs to be caring for those who are in my presence or people who aren't even in the room. Mm. And that caring of that, that's beyond my self recognition and my self focus is what has allowed me to grow and to move past these different levels by bringing in other people's experiences via, I don't know, counseling, via studying, via like just having some really good, deep, candid conversations. Um, 
makes me feel like I, I don't need to, it, it makes the calculation more complex because you have to make sure, or, or it's part of the wondering of how will it affect this marginalized group? How will it affect even this privileged group in power? Um, how does it affect someone who's meeting me for the first time or someone who's known me for the rest, for all of my life? Mm. Um, just taking all of that into account and then making the decision leads to better decisions. And better decisions means better outcomes. And that doesn't mean I'm always successful, but it does mean that I am trying to do better and I'm able to move the needle on my own internal barometer about right and wrong and just keep like increasing the proportion of, you know, making the best choices the most amount of time as possible. Um, so, so just basically learning about myself, being self-aware and, uh, understanding that in order to be the best version of myself, I need to actually be truthful about what I'm doing right in, in terms by, by my own playbook and, um, how I can be better. And tell me a little bit about a developer relations role. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, not to the fault of of anyone who comes up with that title, but like you know, titles can get confused sometimes, and mm-hmm. or or there's other roles that are similar but that have a different title. So tell me a little bit about like developer relations as a as a role. So what are some of the tasks involved with that? What are some of the the strategies and things like that that are involved? Um. Well, the practice of developer relations is kind of focused on the fact that developers themselves are highly skilled, highly discerning, and um, generally are reluctant to be swayed by normal or typical marketing techniques. Mm. So the way that you talk to them is way different than what you would talk to a general audience. Mm. If you're selling toilet paper, it's something that everyone will use, truly speaking, hopefully, yes. depending on like where you're located, but like, uh, and cultural implications, right. but generally speaking, um, and you'll use it no matter what. And you'll ask, maybe some people will be swayed by an environmental um, sensitivity that the marketing team says. And so we use less trees, we use recycled paper or um, something that's sturdy saying like, you only need one sheet. and we'll get the job done or softness or something else that's compelling. And so you kind of just generally speak on this one thing that is how you're differentiating yourself from the rest. Mm. But software is different. Software isn't just toilet paper. It's not even just a hammer where uh, you'll go and use it to build something else. It is more of a um, giant backhoe. Only a certain part of the population will use it. Those that do use it know all the concerns in terms of what they want to use it for. They know what environment they'll use it in, and they'll know what safety concerns, maintenance concerns, or versatility that is needed in order for it to slot into the work conditions that they already use. Developers are similar in that where they don't just use the tool you're selling them, it works in conjunction with all of the tools that they use. And it works with all the departments that they have to um, work with. Uh, they, they have an objective, they have a, an end product in mind that they are building, and it has to be in the service of that. And so when you are talking to developers, you can't use generic messages. You can't just say we're fast. You can't just say we're cheap. You have to understand and do a lot of information gathering about the particular situation and environment that the developer is working in. And then you have to adjust your messaging, adjust what you're saying, even adjust the collateral that you bring to a meeting to their specific needs. So there's a lot more adaptation that's done on our side to talk to developers, to understand where where they are in their journey. Are they just now starting out? And then so it's a different conversation to they're well on their way to creating a product. And then you're talking about transforming or 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 migrating to a new solution. And those are all different kinds of variables and techniques. And if you don't have the right 
vocabulary, if you don't have the right um, answers to the questions that they might have, um, and if you're seen as like not even being experienced in the space, then you lose them. You lose them early and you lose them almost not forever, but it's going to be really hard to win them back. So that's why it's just a specialization mm. to, to kind of like, um, just like if you were talking to a doctor, if you don't know the medical terms, then you, you're not going to be able to have even a conversation where it feels like it's on the same um, playing field, on the same level set as them. So basically, it's marketing with an extremely um, focus on technical acumen to be able to participate in conversations. And then at the same time, being able to um, tailor that message to fulfill the needs that they're looking for and doing it in a way that is approachable. Um, kind of like uh, general marketing is what I was saying before, smart, the fastest, the softest, but there's other marketing that's more um, appealing um, think of movie trailers or mm. free samples at your local grocery store. Those are things that you have to not only um, make it applicable, but make it palatable at the same time. It's it's a very niche, nuanced, um, generally brand new uh, like thing that's yeah. happening in the world. Like as this pie grows mm. with technology and there's different roles, like who could think of TikTok influencer being a thing, but here we are. Yes. Um, this is one of those things where it's a new job or a new department or a new division that's just kind of form in service of our highly like knowledge-based economy. And are you typically in a in a dev relations role? Are you typically working to communicate a product or you know, product or services from a, on, on behalf of a company to developers out in the world, or are, or is it more of a developer relations role where you are like the liaison between the developer developers at an organization and you know maybe leadership team like someone like a CIO or CTO or an HR director or CEO in that in that kind of role? Like where does it kind of fit? So it depends on the size of the company, but I can I can speak from an idealized version of mm. how it should be implemented. Mm -hmm. And it's, yes, all of the above. Right. Because you're out there, you're talking to the customer, you're talking to the potential customer, or you're talking to just the community, understand their wants and needs. And then you understand from the company perspective what you're offering. And so it should be a cycle where you're talking to the community, understanding what the company community needs, hearing what's good and what's bad about what you're doing as a product or service, taking that feedback back into the product owner, marketing, or even um, uh, to the community side and making adjustments with that feedback in mind that iterates all of those processes with that feedback um, and then coming up with a new version or a new new. Um, take on what you're doing and then taking that back to the community and doing that all over again. So you are representing the company when you're talking to the community and you're representing the community when you're talking to the company mm. and you're doing, you're, you're having your feet and in, in, on both sides of that and straddling um, uh, this balance to making sure that uh, everyone um, is getting some progress and, and getting better from this interaction. Mm, that's great. Yeah, my book, uh, when my book came out, uh, New Business Networking, um, I was invited to deliver a keynote for uh, VMware's VMUG community. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I, I don't consider myself a developer. I know enough HTML and CSS to be moderately dangerous or at least break something, uh, <laughs> which I've done many times. Um but uh, so when I, I wasn't familiar with VMware, and so when they invited me to to keynote their conference, I was like, "Oh yeah, that sounds great." You know, I love talking about networking. And then as we're as I was looking into VMware, and when you said networking, you're like with cables. <laughs> that was exactly <laughs> it. I was suddenly like, as I was kind of looking, as I was talking to them, I was kind of looking at their website, and I'm like, "Oh wait a minute, are we talking about the same networking?" Mm -hmm. And um, thankfully, we were um, because. What he was looking for uh, for me to deliver was a keynote about professional networking, but also keeping in mind that, and we're generalizing here, of course, but developers tend to be more introverted. They tend to be, you know, maybe quieter or more reserved. And again, generally generalizing there. Um, and they wanted me to deliver a, a, a keynote that would actually 
connect them, to give them permission and, and the tools and, and the, you know, the, just kind of empower them to actually meet new people at this conference. And, um, so yeah, so, so it's always interesting with, with language and how things have different meanings as well. So the, this is part of the reason why I wanted to learn more about your role as a, you know, in developer relations, because yeah, I mean, we go back. I, I, I can't remember where, I can't remember if we met at South by Southwest or at CES. I know we've seen each other and hung out at both conferences and yeah. possibly it's been Gnome Dex. What, maybe. like 15 years? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. So, and t- tell me a little bit about your work, uh, on the board for South by Southwest because I, I'm, I'm always, it's, I hold South by Southwest interactive, you know, near and dear to my heart. And I'm a big, believer in the power of conferences and trade shows and the good ones, because you bring, you bring like-minded people together. And, um, tell me a little bit about what your role with South by Southwest. I I spoke with, uh, Hugh Forrest on my previous podcast and, and I'm a big Hugh fan who's, uh, kind of founded, uh, the interactive side of things. So tell me a little bit about what, what you do on, on the board there. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Hugh as well. Um, genuine, honest, yeah. great person. Definitely. Um, if we're talking about like going back to bringing your whole self, uh, that, that is a guy who is, uh, is showing all of himself, regardless if he's on stage or in person. Um, that guy is just a, the real deal. So, yeah. um, huge, huge, huge props for him. Um, and my engagement, I think I was, I think 2010 was when I joined the advisory board mm. and it's changed over the years. But uh, back then um, when you submitted a panel or a talk for South by 20% would be the panel picker where you just get votes from the public mm-hmm. and 20% would be um, from the board, from the, like the, the big echelon board yeah, um, and not the advisory board. And 60% is the advisory board, which I am on. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'd go through for a specific topic or track and judge panels and figure out who should get in and sh- who should not based on a set of values and um, criteria that upholds the spirit of South by or what they're trying to present and making sure that things don't eke through like people who are pitching their product from stage uh, and just tell them <laughs> just buy this and that's all they're saying. Yeah. Uh, or people who are disingenuous. It's like, let's talk about the future of VR and they're all from the same company and it's five people. Uh, um, no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so those types of things um, is, is what we're responsible for to make sure that the good things come through and the things that don't really um, service the attendees um, do not. And it's changed because I've had different roles. Mm. Um, I've led uh, meetup groups, um, Blacks in Tech, I think in 2012 or 2011. I think I led that. Um, just this past year, 2022, I was the one of the judges for the Innovation Awards. Mm. Um, and so, so the role that I do changes, but it is pretty much kind of the same thing of really making sure that the spirit of what makes South by South by stays the same every year. Yeah. And it, and I am definitely uh, overdue for a visit. Maybe, uh, maybe the next one uh, in March will, uh, will be the time I reappear. It's been, so. it's been a few years. So yeah, I mean, I did speak there when my book first came out, sadly, there was a fire alarm in the middle of the, the talk. And, but, uh, and I've also participated in, uh, on a couple of different panels, uh, over the years, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm way overdue, uh, because yeah, I do, I do absolutely love, uh, South by and Austin too. Tell me, so are you from Austin originally or tell me about that? Well, I grew up in Houston and I went to college in Austin, I went to University of Texas at Austin, and so I was there, pretty, just, you know, just most of my life. Yeah, um, and just last year, relocated from Austin to Wisconsin. Um, my partner's parents are here, and mm-hmm. they were getting up in age and had some 
let's say medical issues. And so we came up here as a family in this age of being able to work remotely. Luckily we had the flexibility to, to relocate. And so I am now Wisconsinite. I think that's what we're called um, <laughs> this over this past year. Um, and Austin is, is a great place. Um, but also Austin is still in Texas last time I checked and um, <laughs> politically it's kind of like, I don't know what's going on there. Um, And so it makes it made it a little bit harder um, to stay. And also um, billionaires are moving there (laughs) and the price of real estate's cranking up and uh, it's becoming harder and harder to actually afford to live in Austin, at least Austin proper. So Austin has been my home for a majority of my life. I have still fond memories and will visit. I still have family there. Um, But yeah, I I consider myself from Austin, even though um, I grew up all over, Mm. but it's been a good 20 plus years that I I lived there. Yeah. Yeah. And Austin, yeah, I, uh, you know, uh, I attended the, 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 I don't know if it was the first, but Bar Camp Austin was my first taste in, of a unconference. And that was during South by in 07, I think. And that was, and that kind of gave Marcus and I, Marcus Whitney, uh, but that sort of was part of the, the, what evolved into doing a bar camp here in Nashville and Nashville and Austin, you know, you hear so often of how many, how similar the two cities are, uh, both mm-hmm. sort of blue dots in red States, both kind of tech, uh, technology, heavy tech cities, but also, um, <laughs> getting back to your point about billionaires moving here and the cost of living going up, 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 up. Um, yeah, Nashville is definitely, uh, definitely like that now too. I mean, I hear a lot of people, uh, grumbling about not being able to afford to buy a house or let alone rent one. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, so you, you talked about sort of the, the dev relations role and, and, and the work there and about building communities. Um, I'm curious, you know, you, you've written and talked a lot about neurodiversity. Um, uh, you yourself have been outspoken about your, your dyslexia and ADHD. Um, talk a little bit, uh, I, and this partly it came from a conversation I had with a, with a developer or a CIO actually, uh, not too long ago. And he was talking about, um, how, um, uh, you know, how people that are, are pretty far along on the spectrum of, of autism, for example, um, struggle in an interview setting, in an interview situation where they're being interviewed for a role. And they are very bright and very talented in all of that. But uh, because of those challenges they face in, in that sort of setting, that often affects uh, the decision on, on ultimately not hiring them. Um is that something you've ex- ex- experienced or, or, or spoken to, to people about? And I, I was curious about that and your own sort of uh, work in, in neurodiversity. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Actually, I gave a talk two weeks ago, and I talked about the same exact thing about ways that companies screen out people who might be neurodivergent and how once they're in a company, how um, they may not be accommodating. And so people, um, there's a loss of that diversity because of the systems that are put in place. And I, I, there, <laughs> there's a lot of 
in terms of communication that is said verbally and things that are implied and things that are even said with hand gestures, nods, looks, and even, even the direction you're facing and where your arms are crossed. And some of that stuff is, um, from a neurotypical standpoint, ways of effectively communicating, but being polite mm-hmm. and effective and gaining trust. Sometimes if you are neurodivergent, some of those same things don't either mean the same thing or you just don't understand and don't do. So um, when we're talking about interview processes, interviews, let's be frank, are pretty subjective. Mm. It, it's it's how you feel about the candidate. And if they've gotten to the, to the point where you're interviewing them, they've they've managed to show some minimal um, ability mm. of being a good fit for the role. And so when, when going through the interview process, people are maybe using themselves as the standard. I work for this company. I am an employee of this company. I am successful at this company. Now, is this a person I want to work with or is this person that I can fit in? And that's generally the majority of some of the, the how people weigh whether or not someone should get an offer. Mm. Now, if you're if you look at the job description and you have to be let's say a developer um, or even a designer or even customer service or whatever the name the role is, the person um, is going to be trained. Mm-hmm. They're going to have resources. They're going to understand what the policies and procedures are, and none of that happens before the interview. It all happens after they get the job, mm-hmm. uh, and. Even in a neurodiverse space, um, I don't consider myself autistic. I've never been tested, but who knows? But um, there are general things that um, people like to take on the face or literally. So during an interview process, when someone says, hey, how you doing today? They may answer with like, I'm doing pretty crappy. Uh, had a hard night's sleep. Uh, and oh my gosh, my, my three-year-old just kept waking us up and then there was a siren for some reason i think the cops were <laughs> responding to some domestic thing with our neighbors who are always fighting and they might just go on and on and on again and when the person just wanted to say oh fine right answer and so those things were uh if you take something literally and it might seem like a genuine like olive branch to for connection but no, it's just like just general pleasantries that may not be understood, but people understand. If someone says, hey, can you can you turn to page four for me? The answer might be, yes, I can. <laughs> but not seen as a request, right. you know? Right. It's just one of those things where it just feels like just little things that might feel off and those will build up and those will show themselves during an interview process. And those first impressions mean a lot. And that is a way that people can be screened out of seeing like they're just off or right. they're weird or they just don't, I don't think they'll fit in here. And um, it's an uphill battle. Um, and uh, one that hopefully... We all can just little, be a little bit humble and um, be more giving to people. There's this thing called um, uh, attru- attribution error. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of this process, but basically being able, if something's wrong, then it must be the person and not the interaction or the thing. And so people will attribute when something goes wrong, they put it on the person. This person's lazy. Their person's not detail-oriented. Uh-huh. Um, if they come to late to an interview, they say, oh, this person's not punctual. Right. But um, what if they – what if what if a, a giant internet conglomerate, their services go down? Yeah. And the, Or the whole West Coast goes dark because of, of uh, a power outage. There are some things that may not be under their control, and then maybe they got power just a minute after you were sp- they were supposed to show up, and they did everything they could to hustle and get on that call or to make that meeting, and they're just that much late. And mm. uh, and if, if, if the interviewer does not ask, they will start to accumulate all of these, uh, let's say, artifacts of – how dependable someone is, how competent they are, mm. um, even how they're dressed. 
Um, those are some of the things that people, um, I mean, I mean we're, we're categorization machines. And so I'm not going to say that this is abnormal, but bias is in us all. And it's just something that if we're not conscious of it, or if we're not doing things to counteract that internally, then it's just going to keep happening. What are some ways that folks listening can start to maybe fix that in themselves? Um, one is not setting yourself as a standard as much as possible. There mm. is this, I don't know if you saw this thing on the internet, but there's this thing going on about like where, if you're in this part of the world, you're expected to be fed if you're visiting. I don't, have you seen that? No, I haven't seen it. It was just saying like people in Sweden, there was this like a, a talk saying like, I was at playing at a friend's house and they said, hey, hang out here in my room. I'll be right back. And uh, after a few minutes, um, the person opened the door, went downstairs and saw that the other kid was eating dinner with their family. <laughs> and, and it was the question is, is that normal or not? In certain parts of the world, it is not, quote unquote, normal to feed a guest because if a child's over at your house. Yeah. Being having dinner with your family is really important. So if you feed that person, the guest, the visitor, you're robbing their family of having a meal with them. Oh, interesting. Uh, and so it's seen as an affront to a family structure or a bonding ceremony by feeding them because they would you you would they would go home and not be hungry and not eat with their family. Interesting. Um, and so it's just like. And then there's talking about like I'm from the south. If you're if you're the mailman and you're hanging out too long, you're getting fed. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so it's just one of those things where like if you're centering your experience and just understand that there are differences, and just because it's normal to you doesn't make it a universal truth. So understanding all the ways that life and people can be different and cultures can be different um, is important. Yeah, I was even thinking about the how are you question that you mentioned and and how, you know, that's very much like that as a rhetorical question. It's very much a North American thing. Like you go to Europe or other countries, I'm sure, and you ask how how are you? And you are going to get that long-winded answer only because you asked the question, how are you, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, wrote a, I wrote a blog post a while back called The Biggest Business Lie. And the idea of it was something that drove me nuts, uh, you know, having – organized networking events and of course attending those in conferences and so on. And you ask people like, how you doing? How's business? What's new? You know? And, and they're always like, Oh, business is great. Blah, blah, blah. And they're only really saving face that like, no, yeah. actually business sucks right now. And mm -hmm. so, and if only you were to be honest and say, maybe not so long winded perhaps, but, but at least answering honestly and saying, actually, you know, I really need a new job or I really need a new client right now to make ends meet and things are kind of rough. Then they might say, well, what type of role are you looking for? Or what type of business or, you know, what, and what type of client are you looking for? And you might get a gig as a result of that or a, a or a new client. So, uh, yeah, so there's something to be said for that, but I hadn't heard the dinner thing. That's really, <laughs> that's really, uh, that's really interesting. I hope my wife and I are sort of convinced that like, we're, we've almost given up on dinner, um, in, in the sense that, you know, we both, we have a 15 year old and a 16 year old. And so they're teenagers who don't really want to spend much time with us. Um, and and cooking sometimes gets just overwhelming and it's like, we do great when we go out to eat together. Don't get me wrong. But like when, like sitting down at home around the dinner table and, you know, talking about your day, it's just like, so leave it to beaver. And it's so it's, and then also from like a health perspective, like dinners, when we end up like overeating and gorging the rest of the day, we do pretty well. So I don't know, maybe mm. this whole dinner thing is just overrated. I don't know. I, I thought you were seriously going to do like a an, a an ad placement right now about like Blue Apron. <laughs> the days <of> it. No. <laughs> that would have been but, perfect. Yes. Oh man. Uh, but yeah, cultural norms. Once again, it's sometimes there's that judgment too. Like you're even signs. I can kind of hear an undertone of saying like, "Oh, it's not really a thing." Whatever. Yeah. Instead of understanding that you are able to change, you do not have to fit into a certain form that is prescribed or measure yourself against what other families or even other groups feel is successful or normative or the thing that is the right thing to do. You need mm -hmm. to you know, be okay with finding the ways that you all work as a family and that's okay.
That's right. Hey, you wrote a great article on LinkedIn, my journey through DevRel, um, and you quoted C.S. Lewis, which I love. You quoted, uh, there are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. Uh, did you want to speak to that a little bit? Uh, that was a pandemic post. If you <laughs> can't uh, understand how like melancholy it was, it was very like going, harking back to being self-aware. Mm. I was leaving, I was in an experience where, you know, it's just things are rough. Yeah. <laughs> Being a person of color in the tech industry, um, there's a reason why the numbers are low. Mm. Um, because the status quo, uh, doesn't look like you, doesn't talk like you, doesn't act like you, mm. especially being neurodivergent. And um, I was in a really bad situation where I was being gaslit constantly. Mm. And it made me question my place in the company, in DevRel, and even you know in the world, frankly. And um, I, when I was talking about reinforcement is is a way of learning, that was an extremely hard time where I felt like I learned a lot. I, I, I it leaped me forward into being more open about my neurodivergence, um, not being a person of color because everyone knew that. Uh, you can see that in Malaway. Uh, <laughs> but the the these the hidden disabilities as they were is something that I I wasn't super open with, and so I started to just in in order to embrace myself, I needed to make the space for myself, make it okay for me to be. And so I started talking about it and I started making it um, acceptable for me to be myself and l let it be known that wherever I go is that I will be. I will not lose myself. I will not mask who I am. Mm -hmm. If you're hiring me, hiring me, if you're bringing me on, um, you're going to be bringing on the whole me and I will not leave that portion of myself behind. And it is a package deal. And there are things that I'm really good at. There are things that I struggle in. And um, in order to set expectations about myself and what you're getting, um, I need, found the need to make sure that it's okay. And if you need help getting to that place, then it's okay to ask for help. But it's also, um, you know, they said if, if you can speak it, you can survive it. And mm -hmm. it's really important to seek help, to seek counsel and most of all, being able to to just say it out loud. Yeah. And even if you don't know what's going to come back, but just to put it out there. Well, and I think, you know, to your point about earlier about, you know, trust and being honest and being your true self, um, I think uh, really resonates, of course. And and I think that's why that that article probably resonated with a lot of people, too, it is you did you did just that. You practiced what you preached, right? You actually went out and, and you wrote a heartfelt, um, article sharing, you know, um, sharing about yourself. And so, and, and I think that was really powerful. So kudos to you for doing that. Thank you. And it feels so much better to be accepted for who you actually are yeah. than to pretend you're someone who not, who you're not and be rejected. Yes. Um, and so if you are out there and you feel like you're doing your best to pretend that you are, just an average person or you are an extraordinary person and that's not truly yourself. Um, all the praise and accolades are for this persona you created and not for you. And all the rejection is of this thing that you just made up and it's not, and you can't make a hundred percent of the people happy a hundred percent of the time, but it's really great to feel uh, uh, the people who really embrace you for who you are. Mm -hmm. And you know that that is genuine. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I, I also think it's a good exercise um, when people are feeling down, um, whatever the, the circumstances is to, is to slow down a little bit. I, I think um, to your, well, I brought it up earlier, but like your LinkedIn recommendations, like for example, if you're having kind of a crappy time and you're dealing with self-doubt and, and, and that kind of thing, I think reviewing, like read through your recommendations and like that, that's a great moment to look through and see, oh my God, like, look at these things that people have said about me. And, um, another little thing that I like to do too, is when I'm feeling kind of down and out and kind of crappy, um, is I scroll through my LinkedIn or my, uh, Instagram feed 
and find and I like or or even my Flickr if I want to go really old school um, and find all these photos and realize just how charmed a life, just how great a life I have. Like just mm-hmm. you know my my family, my friends, the, the travel, my work, um, and so even when things are kind of crappy, I can still I can look back through that and say like, oh wait, actually you know I've got a lot of success, so things are okay. So. Um, all right, lightning round, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. So complete this sentence. Nice guys and gals finish. Yes. <laughs> I like that. What's a nice book that you recommend to the nice makers listening? The End of Bias is a really great book. Um, Jessica Northy hmm. um, is uh, a really great author. Um, but also, um, that is one where you can see the world different, but if you're talking about specifically work related, there's this book uh, called just work. Hmm. Um, and if you like radical candor, yeah. uh, it's the same author yeah. and just work just talks about like how to treat people with compassion and um, make sure that you are really bought in with um, their agenda and what they really want to get out of work and just n- seeing them as people. And I think that is the core to being successful. How is Wesley nice to himself? I lower the bar <laughs> <laughs> wherever possible. So I, I expect that um, the the level of success is sometimes just completion. Will I show up? And if I do, then I give myself a big pat on the back. And if you had a billboard, what would it say? If I had a billboard, it would say, know yourself. I love it. Thank you so much. How can people get a hold of you? I'm on Twitter constantly. <laughs> so if you go to Twitter and look for Wesley 83, you'll find me there. Uh, I also post a lot of the work that I do on this site called Polywork. So if you go to polywork.com forward slash Wesley 83, you'll see all my talks, blog podcasts and articles that I've written there. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for joining me. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. It's good talking to you again. Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. Please leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode at friend.nicepodcast.co and you can find show notes, links to other episodes and lots of other goodies over at nicepodcast.co music by Alistair crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. We'll see you next time and be nice. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe.